Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 22 of the Bible in 90 days. We're in 1 Samuel 29 through 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's right. Today we finish 1 Samuel and begin 2 Samuel. Chapter 29 finds the Philistines assembled for a major battle against Saul and the Israelite army. David is invited to join the Philistine forces, but the Philistine commanders protest, remembering David's success against the Philistines in previous battles. Achish, the Philistine king, while expressing deep trust in David, sends him away under the pressure from his officers. In chapter 30, David's men return to Ziklag, finding it has been attacked and burned, and that the Amalekites have taken all of the men's wives and children as prisoners, including David's two wives. The men weep aloud at their loss. God assures David that he will have success, so he heads out with 600 men, leaving 200 of the most exhausted behind at the camp. An Amalekite servant is found who leads them to the Amalekite camp. David's men prevail, taking back all of their children and livestock. Chapter 31 records Saul's death. During a fierce battle with the Philistines, his son, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua are killed and Saul is wounded. Refusing to die at the hands of the Philistines, Saul takes his own life. When the, Philistine fi- when the Philistines find the bodies of the king and his sons, they take their armor and heads as trophies. And I'm quoting now, when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Beth-shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh-Gilead, where they buried them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. That's it for 1 Samuel. Now we're moving into 2 Samuel, which begins right after King Saul's death and follows the story, most of the story, of David's reign. 2 Samuel One begins with David hearing of Saul's death from an Amalekite who claims to have stumbled upon the wounded Saul on Mount Gilboa, killing him at the king's request. And now I'm quoting from scripture. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Disgusted that an Amalekite would take the life of the Lord's anointed, David has him executed. The latter half of the chapter is a heartfelt lament for Saul and his son Jonathan. Here are some of David's words. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of the war have perished. In chapter 2, David will bless the men of Jabesh-Gilead for the gracious burial of Saul, sending a message that began, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. 2 Samuel also finds David at God's direction, being anointed as king over Judah in Hebron. This is followed by a war between the houses of David and Saul, which included deadly battles between the two, with David's men prevailing. 
The final act in chapter 2 is Asahel, a warrior on David's side, being killed as he pursued Abner, commander of Saul's forces. 2 Samuel begins by informing us that the battle between the houses of David and Saul was drawn out, but David's house continued to grow stronger and Saul's weaker. The chapter also lists the sons born to David in Hebron. However, the majority of the chapter is devoted to two significant events. First, Abner joining David's side. This change of loyalty happens because Abner becomes outraged over an accusation of infidelity to the house of Saul by Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons and heir to the throne. The treaty of peace also involves David demanding to get Michael, his former wife, back. The second story in the chapter records that Joab, commander of David's fighting men, kills Abner in revenge for his murdering of Joab's brother, Asahel. And I'm quoting now, They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. David later says to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. 2 Samuel 4 records the assassination of Ishbosheth by two men, Rechab and Baana. They triumphantly bring the man's severed head to David. And he's appalled at their savage act. In response, David has the two men executed. 2 Samuel 5 tells of David becoming king over Israel at Hebron, the people saying to him, and now I quote, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. At the time of David's anointing as king over Israel in Hebron, he is 30 years old and has already ruled Judah for seven and a half years. He will reign the United Kingdom for another 33 years, making his total time in office 40 and a half years. The chapter also tells the story of David's conquest of Jerusalem, at that time under the control of the Jebusites. After conquering the city, he took up residence in the fortress, renaming it the City of David. The chapter notes, He became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. After this, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent supplies and workmen to build a palace for David. Chapter 5 also records David and his forces facing the Philistines twice in the Valley of Rephaim, both times prevailing, the second time with a unique, miraculous intervention by God. 2 Samuel 6 records David's first attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem. I say first attempt because this first effort is a total failure due to David and the Levites' carelessness in handling the ark, which resulted in the death of Uzzah, one of the men accompanying the ark in transit. In fear, David sends the ark to Obed-Edom for three months. Obed-Edom's household is so richly blessed by being caretakers of the ark that David decides to attempt bringing it to Jerusalem a second time. This time, God's instructions are carefully followed and great reverence for God is shown. David is so ecstatic that he dances before the Lord in the procession. His wife, Michael, is embarrassed by her husband's actions, however, and scolds him when he returns home. As a result, and I'm quoting, Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 7, by the way, this is a chapter you should read. We find David expressing his plan to build a beautiful temple for the Lord. And God responding, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. God, through the prophet Nathan, then recounts how God called and established David as king in Israel, promising to establish a house for you. As part of the promise, he assures David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The prophecy ends with these words, and I quote, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In gratitude, King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. It is important to note that this chapter represents a new inflection point in Israel's history. Previously, when God's covenant is spoken of, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are often mentioned. After this, however, the covenant is also and specifically associated with David. 2 Samuel 8 lists David's victories as well as his officials. 2 Samuel chapter 9, another chapter you should read, tells the beautiful story of David's faithful love to Jonathan as he takes care of Jonathan's lame son, Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. 2 Samuel 10 informs us that David defeats the Ammonites, telling in some detail the tactics employed in the battle. Israel prevails, and when all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. 2 Samuel 11 is the tragic story of David's affair with Bathsheba that results both in an illegitimate child and murder. While a tragic story, it's probably worth reading, both this chapter and the next. The story basically begins with David staying home during one of Israel's battle seasons, seeing a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop and having an affair with her. Things get complicated, however, when she discovers she's pregnant. David tries to create a situation where her husband will think it's his child, but this fails. So David arranges for the man to be accidentally killed in battle. And now I'm quoting from scripture. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. 2 Samuel 12 describes God's response to David's immoral actions. He is confronted by the prophet Nathan and called to account for his crimes. Then the child dies because, and I'm quoting, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born David, and he became ill. 
Bathsheba again becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, Solomon. We'll be hearing about this boy again. One of the final notes of this chapter is that David and the army take the Ammonite town of Rabbah and David takes the king's crown for his own. This crown weighs about 75 pounds in just gold set with precious stones. David also took the people captive and made them hard laborers. And that's all for today.